mentioned, there we go. Praise the Lord. Now I got to lower my voice. I was getting excited. As pastor, as, as um, pastor, this is like an echo though. <laughs> Bear with me, brothers and sisters. This is what we're going to do. As Jason's doing that, let's bow our heads and let's pray. Father God, we come before. listen, uh, receive what it is that you have for them, God, Lord, that you would soften their hearts to receive the word that you have, that you would open up their eyes to see what it is that you are trying to show them, my God, and I pray, Lord, that you would open up their ears to receive, to listen to what it is that you are describing to them as well, my God. I pray, Lord, that all distractions that may be uh, in our minds vying for our attention, Lord, that we will be able to push it to the side to receive what it is that you have for them today, God, and I pray, Lord, that I would humbly come before you to deliver the word that you have placed in my heart to give to your church. All of this we pray in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen and amen. Let's give this another shot. Let's talk about, it is a series in which we are going through certain different types of uh, emotional topics. As many of us are well aware of, in this season that we are in right now, our mental health is really a big deal. We are starting to hear more and more. We have professional athletes talking about, profe- about mental health. Uh, schools are starting to kind of um, just kind of shape some of their curriculum around helping children and young people with their mental health. It's a big, big deal, and as the church, we have to say sometimes, well, what does the Bible teach us in this area? And last week, we kind of started the foundation on this message series as we started talking about emotions. Throughout the rest of the series, we're going to be talking about emotional health. We're going to be talking about why is it that emotional health matters to our spiritual maturity, because I will tell you one thing, if you're really struggling with your with your um, emotional health, it is very, very difficult to walk in to where it is that God wants you to be walking to. It's hard. It's difficult. It's hard for you to walk into the purpose in which God has designed you to walk in if you're really battling with emotional health. And so we'll be talking about in these next few weeks, uh, anger. We'll be talking about anxiety. We'll be talking about depression, relational conflict. And how it is that God wants to redeem our emotions so that we can pursue life of wholeness and fullness that Christ wants us to fulfill. And so today, on our Let's Talk About Topic, I feel like this is like a talk show, Let's Talk About Topic, we're going to be talking about the shaping force of a family. The shaping force of a family. As a pastor, lots of times, a majority of the time that I sit down and meet with someone who's struggling in some area or another, family is a big deal, is is one of the main topics there. We hear this uh, phrase many times that people like to say, well, the past is the past, right? We all have said it. I've said it. The past is the past. Sometimes 
we say it meaning with, with good intentions. Like we're trying to say, hey, the past is the past, man. We've got to just get through that, right? Sometimes we use that as kind of a, 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 a phrase to sweep under the rug something. You know, like we don't want to really deal with that. So let's just say the past is the past. It's just like when you don't want to deal with someone's issues that they're coming to you and you just kind of throw that phrase around loosely. Well, I'll pray for you. Well, sometimes some people are really generally praying for others. Sometimes that's just a, a word that we say that helps to give comfort to someone else. The past is the past, and the, but the truth is, although that is true, there is also another truth to that. And the reality is that the past is not just the past. The past is not just the past. The reality is what happened back then impacts your present. If you're taking notes, you can write that down. What happens back then impacts your present. Your family of origin marks you deeply. That's the truth. Your family of origin marks you deeply. Rather, it's some good stuff or some negative stuff that has impacted you deeply. And it has set relational expectations and patterns into motion more than any other factor in your life. More than any other thing that you have gone through in life, your family has deeply impacted you. Modern day psychologists, they tell us that we are the product of our upbringing and that our family background and relationships will determine how we will turn out as adults. That's what modern-day psychologists uh, say. That's why when a person, and maybe this has been you, that's why when a person goes for counseling, one of the first areas that the counselor will explore is going to be one's childhood and their family background. Many times when, when counselors are, when you bring a child uh, to a counselor, uh, one of their methods is they'll go on ahead and give uh, Barbie dolls or if it's a boy, some, some, some action figures. They'll give that to them and they'll sit back and monitor how it is that the kids are interacting with the Barbies or those action figures to get to maybe what's happening at home. For many of us, that impact that the family has had on us has been great. For many, there's maybe some of us that are here today watching us online that said, Pastor, man, but the, the, the impact, the imprint that my family has given me has been a great one, has been a, being raised in a godly home. There's been no pain. There's been not much suffering. So, so maybe I'm okay. Maybe, maybe I can tune out this message. But I would, I would strongly urge you not to tune it out, to listen, to receive it. I, myself, was raised in a home that was a godly home. Honestly, I have no complaints of my upbringing. Was it a perfect home? Absolutely not. Show me one that was. But I learned some good, positive stuff, and even some stuff that maybe I saw that was negative, I was able to work through uh, how to make those into positives. Now, when I met my wife, my wife, on the other hand, was not raised necessarily in a stable home. It was a family in which there was many, many issues, and, and as I was with her from our, early, from our late teens, 
to now our late 30s, I won't give exact numbers, from our late teens to our, I was thinking about this while I was driving here, to our late 30s, I have walked with her through so much that has been in relation to the imprint that her family kind of placed on her. Lots of struggles, lots of pain, directly contributed to her family. There's a show, this, this it wasn't, I, I don't think it was aired here in the U.S., I think it was somewhere uh, in Europe, but the show is called Neighbors from Hell. It was a TV program about a family that was described by their neighbors as a family from hell. I can only imagine, you know, for some of these shows, you got to send in videotape or whatever of examples. Imagine what these producers are looking through to finally decide which families to air on the show. Well, on this specific episode, the, the man and the woman who were, they, they were living together and they had each been married before. One of them had been married a couple of times. There were also several children that were in the home with only two of them sharing the same father and mother. Well, the parents in this episode, in this show, were loud. These parents were abusive, not only to each other, but also to others that were in the street. I didn't see this episode. I just read about it, but I, I, now I'm kind of inclined to, 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 to watch it. Every other word that they spoke was a swear word. Some of, all, some of you guys are, are, are saying right now, oh, man, maybe I should nominate my, my neighbor. They were frequently drunk. They were quite violent. The effect that this had upon their children was also somewhat predictable because these children growing up in such an atmosphere, they were very quick to pick up on and copy the character traits of their parents. And that was evident in this episode as well. Those kids also were violent. Those children also were abusive. They were using foul language and so on. And so their home environment we saw here, uh, they kind of showed a little bit on the show, played a significant role in shaping and modeling their character and their conduct. Again, to show us, I'm, I'm giving you an example to show. Some of you guys seen that. You know this to be true. I don't have to stand up here and convince you. Once again, the past is not just the past. What happens then impacts your future. And as I'm looking through scriptures, as I'm putting this all together, there's quite a few great examples of this. One of the persons that popped up in my mind uh, while I was thinking through this and, and what text to kind of put into this category was the story of Joseph. How many people here are familiar with the story of Joseph? Now, to say that Joseph's family was a dysfunctional family is something of an understatement if you know the story. And if you don't, it's okay. I'm not going to go and dissect it, but you can go to the book of Genesis, find it there, read it, and study it. Actually, if you want to know all, the, all of his, the family's history, go to uh, pretty much almost the beginning of Genesis, starting with his great-grandfather. But as you study Joseph's family background, you soon discover that it was a seedbed of deception, of rivalry, of, of infighting, of jealousy, 
of hatred, of immorality, of cruelty, and so much more. It certainly wasn't the sort of family from which one would have expected such a godly man like Joseph to emerge from. People would say, there's no way. Man, that kid, that guy is a man of God, so that means his family had to be perfect, had to be awesome. Couldn't be any further from the truth. As a matter of fact, as you start looking at the story of Joseph, as you start looking at the backstory of his ancestors, of his father, of his grandfather, of his great-grandfather, all good men uh, 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 of God. When we iterate in the Bible, it says when God went on ahead and presented himself to Moses, it says, I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That was his lineage right there. But yet what I see was some generational cycles that had been present. I remember studying the word of God, and as I was going through these three men, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, I was shocked. Because reading the word of God, I assumed that everybody there was perfect. That everybody over there was was someone that I wanted to kind of be like. But as you really start studying them, you start saying, man, these people were messed up, or not, if not more messed up than my family. I'll give you some quick examples what I say as far as generational cycles and how, how, do you, how, how our upbringing can affect not just us, but our children and our, 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 our grandchildren. Abraham, I'll start off with him. Many of us know Abraham. We know his story. But, and I'm going to give you a real quick glance through. Don't have the time to kind of dissect everything. You can look it up on your own. But Abraham, he lied twice about his wife. Sarah. I remember reading this. I was like, what? I didn't see the Bible. How could, how could he have lied? Abraham and Sarah eventually have a child, and his name is Isaac. All right? Those two lies that we see in the Bible with Abraham. Now, Isaac and Rebekah, if you look at their marriage, their marriage is characterized by lies. One lie after another. They had to get things done. They had to do things. And the way they felt was best was they were going to lie. Isaac and Rebekah end up having a son. His son is Jacob. Jacob, we hear the song, Jacob luchó con el ángel del Señor, right? Jacob, you know, fought for that blessing, right? Good stuff there. But Jacob, when you read the word, lied to almost everybody. You see what I'm, you see what I'm trying to say? That a couple lies from, the, from, from, from Abraham to some lies from, to Isaac. And now Isaac has a son, Jacob. And Jacob is, is struggling with lies that eventually Jacob has a bunch of sons. And those sons all, ten, ten of Jacob's sons, actually go on ahead and they're jealous. They're jealous of Joseph because Joseph is also Jacob's son. And Joseph is, is having visions and, jo- and Joseph is, is, is kind of the apple to Jacob's eye. That's my son. That's my boy. There's something special about him. The other brothers are jealous. And so what do they do? They plot a way to, to, to kind of get rid of Joseph. And they sell Joseph into slavery. You guys remember that story? Ten of Jacob's sons lied about Joseph's death kept the family secret for more than 10 years. 
great-grandfather lied a couple times. The grandfather lied. The father lied. All a part of Joseph's family. And so Jacob's sons go on ahead and they tell Jacob, hey, Dad, Joseph's gone. An animal came, tore him up. He's done. He's dead. And the Bible shows that Jacob was grieving. Jacob was in pain. My son is gone. And for 10 years, Jacob is thinking that his son is dead, all as a product, byproduct of lies. I want to show you very, very quickly here today, church. Again, this is, we're kind of just overpassing all of this. But I want to show you three quick lessons based on Joseph's life that we can learn when it comes to uh, really the imprint that our family places in on us. Uh, now I'm focusing more on, on kind of some of the negative stuff, but I want you to just stay with me, okay? The first one is this, and so much happened. There's a famine now in the land where Jacob and his, and his, and his sons are all staying in, right? There's no food. They're, 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 they're about to start starving, so Jacob's sons, and they all start heading out over towards Egypt, where at least they know Egypt has got, they, they have their stuff together, and they have been kind of uh, uh, keeping lots of their crops and, and grains and all this type of stuff. They've been storing that all. Why? Because they knew eventually when a famine comes, at least we have food stored up. What Jacob's brothers didn't know, or what Joseph's brothers didn't know, is that Joseph now was the man kind of like in charge. He was kind of like there with Pharaoh, and he was the one in charge of all the food and, and all of these things. So now as Joseph's brothers have to start going toward Egypt to try to beg, to try to ask, to try to purchase some food, guess who they find? And they say, hey, I can just imagine, hey, show us the one that is in charge right now because we need to purchase some food because all of our family, our nation, it's all going to die. They're all going to suffer. They're all going to die from hunger. And the one that walks in is the one that they lied about, the one that they had told their father that was dead. First thing that I want us to learn from this lesson from Joseph's life is I want you to do this. No matter what it is that you've been through, no matter what it is, the negative uh, impact maybe uh, that your family has, has, has placed on you, whether it was something with your upbringing, something that you saw, uh, anything, anything at all, I want you to allow yourself to grieve the pain and brokenness caused by family. Allow yourself to grieve the pain and brokenness caused by your family. I don't want you to stay there. There's a difference between briefly griefing it and staying implanted in that grief. But just for a moment, if you've got some hurt in your heart still, if you've got some habits that you know that you have adapted because maybe you saw them growing up, maybe grandpa dealt with that, maybe great-grandpa dealt with that, vice versa, I want you to allow yourself to grieve the pain and brokenness caused by family because many people are saying, uh, say, counselors find this all the time, 
that the person that they're counseling, they don't want to deal with you. They don't, not, no, not necessarily do they not just want to go and approach the person, but maybe it wasn't something that someone directly did. It was just maybe something that they saw. And they don't want to get to a place in which they are dealing with those emotions. How do you deal with your, those emotions when you start thinking about them for a little bit, right? All of a sudden, you know, we think about something specific in our lives and something that has been kind of inherited by us. And all of a sudden, man, we feel down. We feel depressed. We feel angry. And instead of feeling that, we just say, hey, I'll just sweep it under the rug. But I want you to grieve that. I want you to grieve the pain and brokenness that has been caused by family. Because I believe that, that, and this is me saying this from my experience, is that sometimes healing comes right after the tears. Sometimes we have to cry. Sometimes we've got to let it out. So that now healing can begin. Let me take you really quickly to Genesis chapter 45, verses 1 through 2. This is now, I'll set the tone. This is now, and I just, this is just the way I picture it. I picture, you know, uh, Joseph. You know, the, the, the brothers are all standing there waiting to meet this person that's in charge of the one that's going to sell them uh, some of the crops and wheat or whatever, whatnot. And I just kind of, they're waiting, they're waiting, and I just, just imagine the door being open, and all of a sudden, Joseph walks up, and he sees these, his brothers. Now, it's not so clear, but from what we can understand, it's really kind of, you know, some of the brothers probably didn't recognize him. Why? Joseph was young. Joseph was young when they went on ahead, and they kind of sold him into the slavery. So we know that, you know, sometimes we see, last time we saw one of our, our, our friends, uh, kids, they were young, all of a sudden they're old, we don't even recognize them anymore because they've changed. Especially guys, they go through all these type of changes. Their voice gets deep. But Joseph, because they were older, Joseph remembers. Joseph remembers them. And then this is what he says. After Joseph is talking to them, they're having some dialogue. Joseph says this. Then Joseph could not, could no longer control himself before all his attendants. And he cried out, have everyone leave my presence. So there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. And then this is what it says. And he wept. Everybody say wept. So loudly that the Egyptians heard him and Pharaoh's household heard about it. Joseph is seeing them and he's keeping his composure. He tells all the attendants to leave. And as he makes himself known to his brothers, the Bible says he weeps loudly. He's grieving. Joseph is grieving the pain. That maybe he has been holy. Joseph didn't forget what had happened to him. I can only imagine that maybe year after year, and there's a lot more to Joseph's story before he gets to that, 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 that position of prominence. But I can only imagine that sometimes as he's going to bed, as he's getting ready to go to sleep, as he's praying to his father, he's thinking about, man, my brothers did this to me. Does dad know what happened to me? Come on. How many people here, when you lay down at night, or you're sitting down and, you, and it's quiet, 
you start thinking about some of these things. Oh, this happened to me. And that happened to me. They did this to me. We see here the pain from his past is being let out. And it grieves him because he grieved that maybe to himself, in his, by himself, and now he's just pouring it all out. I believe this is a time in which he let it all out. Have you ever grieved to that point where you just belch it and you're just, you're, you're sobbing uncontrollably. The mocos are coming out. You just, you just can't control yourself because it's just, it's so, I, I, I've been there. And, and, and no one understands. You know, I, I say it because I've done that. You know, I'm a tough guy. And, and, and I, I keep a lot of things in sometimes. I, I'm an easy guy. The things roll off my shoulders. But sometimes, sometimes all it takes is for my wife to ask me a specific question about how I'm doing emotionally. And I lose it. And I lose it where she can't even understand what I'm saying. And so here we see Joseph, man, just letting it all out. Like finally it is coming out. The pain that I have had, my dear brother you guys did to me, how you guys mistreated me. That's why, again, I say the past is not just the past. What happened then impacts your present. Whatever it is that you experience, church, today, whether it's someone in your family did something to you, whether it's just a lifestyle that your family had that now kind of became who you are, whatever that is, I'm not trying to dismiss that. I want to tell you, I understand that that is real. I understand that the pain that maybe you still hold, it's very, very real. And sweeping it under the rug is not going to work. Sweeping it under the rug, it, all it's going to do is possibly build up even stronger strongholds upon you and also is not going to let you progress to be who God has called you to be because there's always going to be something that's holding you the past is not just the past. It determines who you are in the present. But one final time, I want you to allow yourself to grieve the pain and the brokenness that's caused by, that was caused by your family. There's a specific thing. You don't have to do it here. Maybe at the end of the service you can do it. When you get home, you can do it. Just go before God and belch it out and let it all out. The second thing that we learn here from this story of Joseph is rewrite the life script handed to you by your family according to Scripture. Rewrite the life script handed to you by your family according to Scripture. See, because that's what we see Joseph do next. Joseph examined the life script that had been handed to him by his family. What was his life script? Well, there's, there, there's years and years of lies. There's deception. There's, lot, there, there's, there, there's betrayal. All of these things have happened, happened to, to, to Joseph's life. Joseph now, as a young boy, is now in Egypt, and he's dealing with all of the things that he has to deal with. He's, he's, that, that's the life script that was given to him. But what we see is that he rewrote his script according to Scripture. In Genesis chapter 45, verse 5 through 8, it says this. And this is Joseph. And now, do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here. Isn't that beautiful? 
This shows someone, this, this is the voice of someone who has let it all out. He's let it all out. He's forgiven. Because his brothers now are saying, this dude's in charge. And, and, and what did we do to him 10 years ago? Yeah, I think uh, starvation is not our biggest problem right now. It's probably not going to make it out of here alive. It says in verse 5, the continuous part of it, it says, Do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here, because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. This is someone that is looking beyond. He's looking at a big picture of this. This is not about you. This is about God. Verse 6, for two years now, there has been famine in the land. And for the next five years, there will be no plowing or and uh, reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve you, a remnant on earth, and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then, it was not you who sent me here, but God. Everybody say, but God. I love that. But God. He made me father to Pharaoh, Lord of his entire household, and ruler of all Egypt. What he's saying is Joseph, in reality, he's telling him there's a, there's a purpose behind what has happened. You see, because I believe that Joseph could have wavered. When Joseph now is in Egypt, he could he could have. He, he could have become who his family was. Could have become a liar. Could have become, could have become someone who just deceived his way through things. He could have done that. He could have rebelled against God. Very easy to do. Someone there in, 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 in Egypt now that had their own gods for everything. Could have rebelled. He could have said, God, because you allowed my family to do this to me, I'm rebelling against you. You obviously didn't help me, so I'm going to go on ahead and I'll just make gods of whoever it is that Egypt says is a god of comfort. He doesn't do that. What does Joseph do? He remained true to God. He didn't allow the bad from his family to outweigh the goodness and purpose of his God. He didn't allow that. As I think about this, we got some bad. There's, a, there's some bad in us. There's some bad in us that we bring from maybe our family. And, and the reality is some of our parents have done the best that they can do. But the, the reality is they have also been a byproduct of what, how it is that they were raised as well. They could only do as much as they have learned sometimes. And so in this, I, rem I was reminded as I was putting this together in my Bible, years and years ago, I ran out ahead and I wrote down on the first page of my Bible, before you even get to the book of Genesis, I, put, I wrote down, in the midst of my suffering, what is it that you are trying to show me? Is what I wrote down. I still have it written down. I double-checked today. I just want to make sure that the page wasn't ripped or anything because my niece was over in my house a couple of weeks ago and got, got a hold of my Bible. She's not even a year old, or she is a year old. I say that because I believe that that's a question that you need to be asking God. In the midst of my suffering, 
Like how, how many people here have cats? That's a majority of us. In the midst of my suffering, in the midst of whatever it is that's happening in my family, God, what is it that you are trying to show me? Because listen, there's something in there. There's something that God is trying to show you. What I want you to do is I want you to believe that what you have experienced in your upbringing, I want you to believe that whatever it is that you have experienced in, in the area of your family, the good, the bad, the ugly, I want you to believe that God has a purpose for it. That God wants to use those very same things that maybe affected you in a negative way, and he wants to use that to shape you for something that is positive. In this case, brothers were trying to get rid of Joseph. But God had a plan. God was going to use that rejection to be something that eventually was going to feed a nation. The third thing that I want us to learn really quickly from the story is I want you to know that from your darkness, from your darkest brokenness could come the greatest blessing for others. From your darkest brokenness could come the greatest blessing for others. Joseph knew this to be true. Joseph knew that from his darkest brokenness could come the greatest blessing for others. That's why he says in Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, this is a verse that many of us have memorized, a verse that many of us love, and it says this. He tells his brothers, you see, my brothers, you intended to harm me. Your intention was to harm me. But God, here goes the but God again. Everyone say, but God. But God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. What you intended to be bad for me, God turned it for good. God used it for good. You see, God chose Joseph first and his broken family to save an entire nation from starving. Yes, there was pain. We see it in Joseph. We see it. There was pain. Yes, there was suffering. Yes, there was brokenness. But church, what man intended for harm, God intended for good. We're reminded of this in Romans chapter 8, verse 28. It says, we know that in all things, everyone say all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to to his purpose. And you know, as I read this, as I was putting this and typing this together, I wonder, I was wondering, I was wondering that as I'm looking out right now and I'm scanning the sanctuary, you guys stand up. I wonder, what is it that God wants to do through you in relation to how it is that you have been shaped by me. What is it? I wonder. I wonder what is it that God wants to use you for? Because what you have endured, because what you have seen, because what has kind of become a little bit a part of you, I wonder what it is that God wants to use that for. Let 
What is it, who is it that he wants to save through your story? What good was done to you so that God can use that to help save others? What bad was done to you so that God can reshape that bad into your life and allow you to use that story to save others? I wonder what it is. My prayer is as your pastors that you would, you would find that story. That you would find it. You see, Jesus has an important take on human family, which ultimately highlights powerful principles and practices for our deepest character development. On one hand, as you study Jesus, he recognized the power of the human family for our identity and our growth. He honored his earthly father and mother by submitting to them. We, we see some of that. You want to see Jesus as a young boy? You can look at Luke chapter 2, verse 51. We show that, that he honors him. But he was also, also kind of shown some good patterns, too, because in that, in, that, in that chapter, we see that his family would always go to the synagogue, would always go every year. They would go and do uh, the things that, they, that, that, that were accustomed to it. And eventually, they lose, they, they lose Jesus. They get home. They're probably out in a caravan. They get home. And they're like, hey, where's Jesus? They're looking for him, and they find Jesus there learning and, 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 and just receiving from the others there. That's because although he submitted to his earthly parents, he also knew that his father from above was really what was going to take and captivate and change the life or, or, or use him to do what it is that God, the mission that God had called him to do. We even see him, because he was so big on family as well, we even see him uh, when he's there about to be crucified, he's, he, he's caring about who's going to care for his mother when he's gone as well. But at the same time, Jesus repeatedly described an even deeper family than the biological family. He talked about being born again. You guys remember that in John chapter 3, verse 5, when he has that conversation with Nicodemus. He talks about being born again. And he taught that those who receive him become a part of a new family. You see, I say this because some of us have been parts of families that have been negative. But when we give our life to Christ, the Bible says we become born again. So now we have a new family. Where we begin to be born of God. And so this language of rebirth, in reality, it's no accident. And I just want to tell you very briefly, there's a little bit of science behind it. And I love whenever science, and some people say don't mix the two, but, but I love when you can kind of parallel the two. The most important factor for our brain development, this is the science behind it, the most important develop, uh, factor for our brain development and our social trajectory entails our earliest experiences. Our earliest experiences. Attachment is a term that refers to an emotional bond that we have with our primary caregiver at the earliest stages of our life. And most often, for many of us, it's our mom. For some of us, it's, it's, our, it's our dad. But according to the science, during our first year of life, it is the quality of this attachment that literally builds into our brains and bodies' expectations and preferences for our future relationships. And I think that's very important. I think that's very important because what it's saying is 
what we see from the very beginning, what we, what we receive as children from the very, very beginning has a lot, it, it sticks with us. It sticks with us emotionally. It sticks with us mentally. And for some of us, that's good because it was a nurturing experience. But for some of us, it's not good because it was a negative experience. And here's why it matters. Because though study after study shows a generally consistent attachment style across the human lifespan based on our earliest experiences, you know that we can learn new ways to relate. In fact, this is part of being born again. Since we get to relive the earliest brain and biology wiring experience with a new caregiver. You know who that new caregiver is? God the Father. When you give your life to Christ, as many of you here today have done so, your family is still your family. But you have been born into a new family. And the Father in which is now present is God the Father. Jesus, the Holy Spirit. These are now, this is now part of your new parenting. And you get to now relearn those skills. As we get close to Jesus, we see the, his joy over us as we sing scripture. As we hear his sweet lullabies that we find in the passages. As we sit in his delight, you know what's happening? The closer you become to God and you receive of his word, the, like, like, like I've explained to you guys, the Bible describes the word of God like sweet honey. As you begin to eat that his word, as you get closer to him, you know what's happening? Our neural pathways start to change and our response to life begins to transform. That's some of the science behind it. And so maybe this is why. Maybe this is why Jesus insisted on spending time with his father and repeatedly said that we need to love him more than we love our own earthly families. Because discipleship ultimately is unlearning deep patterns from our family of origin in order to be rewired into Christ-likeness. Discipleship is saying, I'm going to stop, I'm going to cut these parts of my life that were kind of given to me, and I'm going to now start to fill those areas of my, of my life to be like Christ. That's discipleship. Discipleship, that's what it's all about. God's number one, one of his number one goals for us is that we would have conformity to his son. He wants us to be like Jesus as much as possible. We'll never get there. We'll never be exactly like him on this side of eternity. But he wants us to strive to be like that. Well, how do you become like that? By being closer and closer to him. You see, like God took the Israelites out of Egypt. Some of you guys are familiar with this story. He used Moses to do so. The same way God took the Israelites out of Egypt, he takes us from darkness to light when we become part of his family. However, just like the Israelites still carried a lot of Egypt in them, you remember that? They had been in the wilderness for a little bit, and they start now 
trying to get back to these Egyptian cultures in them because they're saying, hey, uh, we were supposed to get to this land that flowed like, you know, like milk and honey and all this good stuff, but we're still going around this wilderness. So maybe we should start taking things into our own hands. But just like the Israelites still carried a lot of Egypt in them, the reality is, even though you are still here today, we too carry a lot of our family of origin in us. We do. But I got something beautiful to tell you today. And that is that God wants to reparent us. God wants to reparent us. We are adopted into the family of God through Jesus. And with this, we're going to be, we're going to be closing. This is not an adoption of a set of beliefs, though, folks. It's a change in relationship. Ultimately, who and what we love drives our beliefs. And so when we experience a relationship with God as Father, then we dramatically change from the inside out. And this is what heals our deepest wounds, folks, and makes them into blessings for others. This is how God can make our worst misery our greatest ministry. Jesus wants to give you a new name. Choose to become a part of his family. Jesus wants to change you. So choose to, to grow into your experience of his transforming presence. Jesus wants to give you purpose. Choose to engage by operating out of your unique brokenness to become a blessing so you can be a wounded healer for others. You've been adopted into a new family, folks. Don't see God as just your daughter. See God as your father. It changes everything. That's why Jesus' number one thing was to abide in his father. Throughout his ministry, we see that there was times where Jesus did miracles. Jesus taught Jesus fed the multitudes. He did all these things. But many times, Jesus retreated to himself. Why? Not to just, I need alone time. He retreated because he needed time with his father. He needed to abide in him. The closer you become to something, the more you become that thing. So you want to see a love that never disappoints? Look to God as your You want to, you're done feeling rejected? Look to God as your father. You're done with people just leaving you, people saying one thing and doing another? Look to God as your father. You have a place in your heart that you feel like hasn't been able to be fulfilled, and you've been looking to get that place refilled with everything, whether it's addictions or habits, whatever it is, look to God as your father. Because he wants to reparent you. He wants to show you love that maybe you didn't receive. He wants to show that he cares for you like maybe you've never felt cared for. He wants to show you that you are of value, that you are of worth, that he knows every hair that's on your forehead, that before you were even in your mother's womb, he knew you and he had a plan for you. I want, I'll sign up for a dialogue. So look to God and allow him to reshape you. Whatever it is, however it is that you've been shaping by your family, that's what it is, right? The past is the past. 
but because the past affects our present. And the fact that you're standing and you're here today and you have breath in your lungs and you know that there's an opportunity for that to be reprogrammed in you. And whatever your weaknesses are, with God, can become your strength. Amen? I ask that we all rise to our feet and we can put some, some music in the background. Jason is helping out our, our team in, in Berwyn again today. But right where you're at, let me just lower down a little bit. Right where you're at, church, just bow your head. And I want you just to think about what's been said here today. I want you to really think, and I want you to be like David, and he says in the Psalms, Lord, search my heart. Find in me whatever's in there that you find offensive. What I want you to do is I want you to ask God to search your heart to show you, to reveal to you some of the things. Remember, there's, there's plenty of good. But for some of us, some of those things that were not so good, that we have kind of, that have become who we are, that we saw from our family, and, and, and it has driven us to be who we are today. Whatever it is that that is, I want you to bring it before God right now, right there where you're at. Bring it before God. It's abandonment. Bring it before God. Hurt. Bring it before God. Neglect. Bring it before God. Alcoholism. Bring it before God. Lust. Bring it before God. Whatever it is, you know better than I do what it is, what it is that maybe has, you, you have, has become a part of you from your upbringing. And present it to God. And say, God, today I give this to you. Because you are my father. My earthly parents, they probably did the best that they could do. And thank you for that. But you are my earthly father. You have made me new. You have given me a new life. You have given me purpose. You have never left me. You have never abandoned me. I give this to you, God. I, I grieve over this, God. But right now, Lord Jesus, I pray, Lord, that you would consume me. I pray, Lord, that I would abide in you. I pray, Lord, that, that we would become one, God. Lord, that every area that is missing in my life, that you can fulfill it. You cannot just fill it, but you can make it overflow. And Lord, I pray, Lord, that it would overflow so much. That it would overflow so much that now I can use this test and I can convert it into a testimony. I can use what I've struggled with, my addictions, I can use where, where it is that I was at, where you have brought me, and I can share this with someone else who is struggling in this area. Because God, you make all things work together for the good of those who love you, who have been called according to your purpose. Church, do you believe that today? Amen. With your head still bowed, we're going to pray for dismissal.
But I ask if there's anybody here that feels like, hey, I, I need some prayer. Whatever it is, whatever it is, may it be maybe, hey, I, I need prayer because I, I need to start this new life with Jesus. Oh, well, we want to help you through that. If there's someone here that maybe you're just struggling with something, it, it, it could be a, a, a medical issue, it could be an issue at home. If that's you, then I want to invite that once I dismiss today's service, Elder Jose and, and I will be here in the front, and I want you to come on up. If that's you, everybody will be going home and getting some coffee, but we want to stay here, and we want to pray for you individually for whatever that need is. Amen? Father God, I pray right now for your church. Lord, I thank you for this time that you have given us together, Lord Jesus. I thank you, Father Lord, that we have the freedom to be able to worship you, Lord Jesus. Lord, I pray right now, Father God, Lord, for those who have received your word. I pray, Lord, that each and every one of their hearts would be, Father God, a, a soil that is good and ready, Lord, that as your seeds from your word have been poured into their hearts, Lord, that their hearts would consume it, Lord, and out of that would come out great fruit. Lord Jesus Christ, may we apply this word. May we not just be here to listen to your word, but that we would be here to listen and to apply your word into our lives. Lord, as we get ready to dismiss, I pray for your protection over each and every single one of your people here today. I pray, Lord, that no matter where it is that they go, what their plans are, their work week, whatever it is, Lord, that you would remind them that you have called them to be the light of this world, that you have called them to be the salt of this earth, that you did not call them to blend in, but you have called them to stand out. Father, I pray, Lord, that you would use them in a great and mighty way. Church, we leave you with this blessing. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord shine his face upon you all. May the Lord be gracious unto you. And may the Lord give you all peace. And in Jesus' holy, mighty name, the church of God says, amen. Amen, amen, church. God bless you. Remember, if you are in need of prayer, come on up to the front. And me and the elder, Jose.